All right, if I could trouble you to put up on the screen that chart for everybody. Now, if you're new to Book of Life, you don't have one of these, but if you want one, just contact the office, we'll get you one. Uh, because we've been going through the history of Israel throughout the period known as the time of the kings. And this tells you what was going on in that period. At the very beginning, after King David, his son Solomon was king, and then the kingdom divided into two distinct nations. The nation in the north is called Israel, and the nation in the south is called Judah. And we've been looking at the kings of Israel and Judah and what's been going on in their reign as we've been following them through the history in the Bible called Kings and Chronicles. So we have already gotten to the end of Israel. The northern kingdom was destroyed, and now we're just dealing with the time of the southern kingdom. The king who was on the throne when Israel was destroyed, the king of Judah, was a guy named Hezekiah. So that's kind of to catch you up to where we are. Here's what the Bible says about King Hezekiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. These are places of idolatrous worship. He destroyed them. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. So we're out in the wilderness, right? We're sinning against God, so he sends a bunch of poisonous snakes to bite people, to wake them up. But he told Moses to put this serpent, this bronze serpent, up on a pole, and whoever's bitten by it looks at it, they'll be healed. So these people keep the thing and start worshiping it. For hundreds of years, Hezekiah said, this is a great national treasure, it's an antique, I'm destroying it. Anything that gets between us and God, it is worthless. It was worse than worthless. So he smashed it up and destroyed it. Verse 5, beautiful verse. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Wow. So while everybody else is cascading into sin and idolatry and misery, and Israel's destroyed, God raises up a king of Judah who is awesome like David, his father. I'm going to read you a verse that says basically he was successful in everything he did. He was a godly man, and he was successful in everything he did. So today's lesson is strategy for success. We're going to look at Hezekiah's life, see what he did. And if we can do what he did, we'll be successful too. It's a recipe for success. So we'll, do be, we'll be like Hezekiah, we'll be successful. How many of you want to be successful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we raise our children, we say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. All right, I'd love you to be a fireman. What do you want to be, little Johnny? I'm going to be an astronaut. Man, do they even know what astronauts are anymore? It's like that was the big thing when I was a kid. Now what is it? I want to be an NFL football player. God bless you, Johnny. Be that. I want to be a complete failure. None of our kids do that. They all have great dreams. And we need to encourage and nurture those dreams. But there is an area of success. There are no classes for it at school. And it's more important than any of the others. Being a fireman's good. But being a godly person is better. And so Hezekiah teaches us how to be godly. So we're going to look at three strategies for success right now. And then towards the end, a fourth. I'll slip in there. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we'll look at them in detail one at a time. First, the first three. Hezekiah's strategy for success. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's number one. 
Number two, he trusted in the Lord. And number three, he kept the commands of the Lord. Now, you're probably thinking, yeah, duh, I could have told you that. Let's look at some specifics. Because if that's all it said, it wouldn't help. But it shows us exactly what he did in these areas, and that helps a lot. So, 2 Chronicles 31, what he did right in the eyes of the Lord. That's number one, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 31. Now, I'm reading from Chronicles and not Kings. Remember, Chronicles and Kings covers the same history. They supplement each other. There's more detail in this regard about Hezekiah and Chronicles. So I'm reading from it. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites gave generously. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. See, it was the law in Israel that you tithed. And that tithe went to the priests and the Levites so that they could serve God and not worry about taking care of their family, having a second job. Because that was a huge distraction to ministry. So Hezekiah said, we're trying to reestablish our relationship with God here. We can't have these guys worried about making money. They just need to be devoted in serving us and serving the Lord. So start tithing. And everybody was like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, today in the church, we don't live under the tithe. But we're still supposed to give generously to the work of the Lord. How many churches don't have full youth pastors? Full-time children ministry coordinators on staff. Full-time worship leaders. Don't they do a great job? Imagine what they could do if they weren't distracted with a job on top of their job. One guy on staff whose salary is shared with two congregations. What Hezekiah discovered and what we know is that when we don't give to God, we hurt ourselves. We're skimping our kids. We're skimping our children. We're skimping our ministers. So Hezekiah said, no, it's now the law. I'm going to enforce it. And the people weren't like, oh, you're going to... They did it happily. It was an amazing time to be in Israel. So he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He supported ministry. He reinstituted the tithe. Secondly, he evangelized. Second Chronicles 30. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. I said something in there that might have gone past you. It did the first 50 times I read it. So I underlined it and highlighted it in my notes because this is extremely significant. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah. He's not the king of Israel. In fact, Israel was just destroyed. He's got a mission going out, sending ambassadors to a foreign country that just got invaded to get them right with God. This man had a heart. No wonder he said it was like no other. He was amazing. He sent word to all Israel and Judah, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Do you know the word Passover occurs in the Bible lots of times? But in the King James Version of the Bible, the word Easter occurs one time, and it's a mistranslation of the word Passover. He was sending these people out 
in language you understand at Easter time to invite people to church. I wonder if they had a bunch of sin eggs. But he sent them out. Do you realize last week, Book of Life Community Church, um, would you mind taking her out, please? Uh, him out, thank you. Last week, Book of Life Community Church visited 800 homes. 800! Just in this neighborhood. We didn't knock on the door to talk to everybody. We took these little things and put them in their door and went on to the next. That's their goal again today, to eat, hit 800 more houses. Listen, if you don't go out with them, pray for them, that they'll have great fruit. Because they're doing exactly what Hezekiah did. Strategy for success. Join them in prayer. This is exactly what went down. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, this is so cool. We get the actual verbiage of the letters that they sent out, which read, in fact, I wonder if they were probably written on a scroll and they got a sealed scroll from the king of Judah himself. You know, a scroll. Maybe a little bigger. I've got a scroll for you too. I'll give it to you a little later. Let's read what Hezekiah's scroll said. People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you, you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and brothers who are unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he made them an object of horror as you see. Don't be stiff-necked as your fathers were. Submit to the Lord. Come to the sanctuary which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God. God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return from him, return to him. So the couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. There were a couple people that went out last week that didn't get the greatest of reception. Oh, if that's what it is, I'm not interested. Okay, have a nice day. Move on to the next house. It's okay. You realize there are people out there that God has chosen for you to meet. And there are people out there that just get in the way. It's kind of nice when they let you know which they are. <laughs> the couriers went from the town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless... Some came, they humbled themselves, and they went to Jerusalem. And a very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate Easter. It wasn't Easter yet. Passover. It was an awesome time. Yes, they were mocked, they were ridiculed, but boy, were they fruitful. Because they went out, yeah, they're going to visit 1,600 homes. So what if 20, 30, 40, 50% flatly reject them? That means 800 won't. The more you hit, the more will come. We're going to have to double our efforts next year. How awesome. We could just campaign the whole city one year. How good would that be? There's a million people here. I'll take a fraction of them, right? What do we got to lose? The more we hit, the more will come. Wow, what a thought. If we invite a million people, what if 1% show up? How many is that? 10,000 people? 
wow, I'm game. We got a field. We'll rent chairs. We'll do a picnic Easter. I'm good. We'll make it happen. What a beautiful thing that happened. Strategy for success, number one, do right in the eyes of the Lord. Specifically, he supported ministry and encouraged others to support ministry. And he participated in ministry, had others, specifically evangelism. But maybe your thing isn't evangelism. That's fine. Find your thing. We always need people serving in the nursery. We always need people to clean up. We need help in the office. There's always something to do around here. It's serving God. You want to be a success, a spiritual success? Support the ministry with your money. Support the ministry with your talents. I've always heard it said, your time, your talents, and your treasures. That's exactly what Hezekiah did. Now, we're not all evangelists. You know, people who go door to door and talk to people about Jesus. For some of us, that's just not the thing. But we will all have opportunities to talk about Jesus to people. In work, at home, our neighbors, it comes up. And that's a good thing. Listen to what the Bible says about you. We were talking about those guys thousands of years ago. But the Bible talks about you too. Listen to what it says. I'm in 2 Corinthians, by the way. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, in the Messiah, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassador Brian. Ambassador Shelley. Ambassador Christian and Crystal. Ambassador Rebecca. You guys are ambassadors. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't voluntary. You are his ambassadors. He's in heaven and has commissioned us to do his work. Are you going to tell him no? I don't recommend it. What an honor it is. Don't see it as a burden, but an honor. If President Obama came up to me and said, Mr. Shermet, I would like you to be one of my ambassadors. Wow, I'd be floored. I, I might even consider doing it. Now, he's not the guy I voted for, but he is the president of my country, and he thinks I can help? How can I possibly help? Wow, I, uh, let me give that some thought. God comes and says, I want you to be my ambassador. Okay, what do you want me to do? No thought required. Just tell me what to do. You really think I can do anything? Me? And he came to Moses one day, and Moses said, you've got it wrong. You've chosen the wrong guy. God was patient with him for a while, but then he eventually said, shut up, sit down, here's what you're going to do. He went to Jonah. Jonah said, no. And God said, shut up, spit up, and do what I told you to do. If you don't know the story, yeah, <laughs> read it. <laughs> You'll get the spit-up joke. <laughs> Strategy for success, number one, do the right things in the eyes of the Lord. Do right. No, no. Strategy for success, number one, do. One word, do. Strategy for success, number two, trust in the Lord. So we got to do, and now we've got to trust. Again, some specifics. I told you the Assyrians conquered Israel. Israel was a mightier empire than Judah. 
and Assyria, let me see, Assyria was like the United States, and Israel was like, I wanted to say Mexico, but Mexico is much larger, but in power, in world power, United States versus Mexico. A nuclear arsenal, no nuclear arsenal. The best of all aircraft and tanks, smart bombs, guys with guns. It's not a fair fight. Assyria came in, everybody knew it was going to destroy Israel. And Israel was mightier than Judah. And now it's heading for Judah. You're king of Judah, what do you do? Everybody in the nation freaked out. Here's what Hezekiah told everybody in the nation. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Syria and his vast armies with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. Now we're talking. With him is only the arm of flesh. He's just got men. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. They were scared till Hezekiah spoke to them. Then they were brave. A couple of things about that. The first is you can inspire people. Sometimes people are discouraged. Maybe they're unemployed and their wife just left them and they're miserable. You can say, hey, let me pray for you. I know what you're going through. I was there three years ago myself. And yeah, it was horrible. But let me tell you how I got through it. Next thing you know, you're joking, you're laughing, you're drinking, and you're... Sodas. <laughs> and you're setting up your next appointment to encourage this person. You, you, you've encouraged them in the Lord. We can do that for people. When some people are scared, you may not be scared. It may be your day to shine. So shine. It's attractive to encourage other people. Hezekiah did right in the eyes of the Lord, and he trusted the Lord. I'm not saying it's always easy to trust the Lord, but sometimes it is. So encourage others when it's your turn. But always trust in the Lord. Is there anything that the Lord doesn't know better than we do? No. So trust Him. Listen to what the proverb says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Strategy for success, number one, do. Strategy for success, number two, trust. Strategy for success, number three, obey. Keep the commands of the Lord. Here's what it says about Hezekiah. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord that he gave Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He obeyed. He was successful. You think those are put together by accident? No. He was successful because he obeyed. And if you're not confident of that, just read down a few verses, because it tells you about Hezekiah, his obedience and success, and then it immediately talks about Israel, her disobedience, and her lack of success. Let me read for you. 2 Kings 18, verses 9 through 12. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria, the capital of Israel, and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. Listen to what it says. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant, 
all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. Says Hezekiah did what Moses said. He was successful. They dissed what Moses said. They were destroyed. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. Strategy for success, number one, do. Specifically, get involved in ministry with your time, your talents, and your treasures. Strategy for success, number two, trust. Even when it's hard to trust. And encourage others to trust. Strategy for success, number three, obey. Let me talk to you about obedience. When I first came to the Lord, I had this thing in my heart where, like, following God, it was a pleasure and all, but it's like a list of rules of do's and don'ts. You, you ever go to a swimming pool that's not yours? Do you ever uh, read the list of rules they post up there? Grab a cup of coffee in a lounge chair because you're basically, you got to, none of this, no, no glass containers, no lifeguard on duty, you swim at your own risk, uh, don't use the hot tub for more than half an hour at a time, definitely don't drink in the hot tub. If your children are here, make sure you don't submerge them underwater for 20 minutes or more. And on and on the list goes. I kind of used to look at God's word like that. But then I grew up and I had kids and I got a bunch of do's and don'ts for my kids. And none of those rules are to stifle their creativity and make them miserable. Every one of those rules has a purpose to help them be better people, happier people, safe people, and to grow in wisdom and maturity. That's it. That's why the rules are there. Now, they might see them as a bunch of stupid do's and don'ts, but I know better, and that's why they're there. God loves me, you, more than you love your children. His rules aren't to stifle your creativity and growth. They're for your well-being. Don't get drunk. You know, drunk people do stupid things. They just do. I don't know what it is about alcohol. Alcohol makes people stupid. So God says don't get drunk. God says don't sleep around. Where would we be with AIDS and all the other STDs today if people didn't sleep around? Don just said how, uh, how many unwed pregnancies there were. God said don't do that. And we're the worst. All these things that we're failing in are all the things God said don't do. How's it working for you? You see what I'm saying? These aren't things to stifle us. Things that we think are fun are actually destructive. And God says don't do them. I use this a lot because it's the one that always jumps into my mind. You give a three-year-old his choice of what he's going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Captain Crunch with soda and chocolate chip cookies with a Twinkie chaser. <laughs> then dessert. You know, he might puke a few times, but will he ever learn what he really needs to eat? No, you don't give him that opportunity. You just tell him what to eat. And hopefully by the time they're older, they start doing that themselves because they know it's right for them. Are we older in God? So, strategy for success, do right in the eyes of the Lord. Do, trust, obey. Now, before I, I get to that fourth one I told you I was going to share at the end, I want to share some fun stuff with you. Fun to us Bible geeks. If you're not an archaeology buff, you can go to sleep for the next two and, two and a half to four minutes. Because <laughs> here's what really excites me. I remember one time when we were in Israel, this last time, and I make it a point of not telling people where we're going or what we're doing. 
They say, hey, where are we going, Steve? I'll tell you when we get there. Because I want them to grab that aha moment. So I remember walking them to a spot. They didn't know why we were at that spot. And I said, how many of you remember the story in the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul was jailed because of what, what happened in Jerusalem? Remember that? He started preaching and there was a riot, so they arrested him and they shipped him down to the governor's office and held him as they were changing leadership. Yeah, well, you know where that jail was? You're standing on it. <gasps> we actually heard. <gasps> I love that archaeological stuff. Do you remember when Herod was struck down by God and consumed of worms? Oh yeah, we're standing there. <gasps> People look around. It's awesome. When... You can see in the physical world the story of the Bible coming alive. I love it. And, and just as exciting as seeing stuff in Israel is when they dig something up in Assyria. Remember Assyria invaded? About the invasions, which they've done. So one of the high points for everybody when they visit Israel, I don't know why, but it's cool, is walking through this tunnel that King Hezekiah had dug out of solid rock. It's actually considered one of the engineering marvels of ancient history. Today, they still don't know how it was done. They started on one end, another group on the other end, and they dug and met in the middle. They stopped up a public stream, ran it underground into the city of Jerusalem because they knew they were going to be invaded and they didn't want to give the invaders any water. So they hid the water, they, they blocked it from the surface and ran it underground into the city. It was brilliant. That tunnel was discovered just a few years back. And now you get to go into Jerusalem and actually walk through it. Water up to your knees. It's a good time. You get in the middle and you tell everybody, okay, turn off your flashlights. It's like the darkest dark you've ever seen or felt. Here's what the Bible says about that tunnel. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. And in, then in Chronicles uh, elsewhere, it was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gion Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he took. Well, if I could trouble Pastor Mike to kill the lights, I'm going to show you what Hezekiah's tunnel looks like. Maybe you can go there with me next year. But let's take a look. Good times, good times. Hezekiah was successful in everything he undertook. He walked with God. He was blessed by God. He was successful in his dealings. But he still had major challenges, major tests of his faith. The point is, Godliness and success doesn't mean we skip all trials. I wish it did, and the day will come where it does. But for now, we've got our struggles ahead of us. The idea isn't that we can avoid them. The idea is how do we deal with them? And that will lead us to the next strategy for success. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Very long account, a couple chapters about how this went down in the Bible. The guy of this vast army, I mean the 
Jews are up on their walls looking at this vast army. It's like, you know, think of Lord of the Rings and the few guys protecting that little fort and then thousands of those monsters out there just waiting to get in. It's like, oh, we can't win. There's no way. Then this ambassador, the king, sends an ambassador who gets up there and starts speaking to everybody on the walls in Hebrew to demoralize them and get them to quit without even having a fight. He said, listen, your king tells you not to resist, uh, to resist us. What good did it do Israel? And you know they are tougher than you. Did their God, your God, help them? No. And he's not going to help you either. In fact, it's your God that told us to come and get you. So do yourselves a favor. Just give up now. We'll take care of you. We'll give you all property. We'll give you homes back in Assyria. Everything will be great. But if you fight, it's going to go horribly for you. Consider what I'm telling you. The only instructions the Israelites were given was say nothing. Don't respond. So they just all kept quiet. They obeyed the king. The letter that the guy read from was delivered and brought to the king, who I guess was hanging out in his palace waiting to see what happened. I guess that's what kings did in those days. Before I tell you any more of this story, this siege that I just read to you about is mentioned in the Assyrian records. I've got a picture of the actual archaeological discovery that contains the Syrian account. Can we have that? That's the cylinder in which is engraven this attack of Judah. Let me read to you some of the words from this Taylor prism. This is what it says in Assyria. As for the king of Judah, Hezekiah, who had not submitted to my authority, I besieged and captured 46 of his fortified cities, along with many smaller towns. I took his plunder people, both small and great, male and female, along with a great number of animals, including horses, mules, donkeys, camels, oxen, and sheep. As for Hezekiah, I shut him up like a caged bird in his royal city of Jerusalem. So it's like this guy is writing down his exploits in Judah. How awesome he and the Assyrians are that they did this to Jerusalem. But sometimes the most important part of the story is the part that's left out. You know what he didn't say? He said, I caged up Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a bird. What he doesn't say is, I destroyed Jerusalem and captured it. Why didn't he say that? Because he didn't. Why didn't he? He conquered the rest of the nation and he destroyed Israel. Why didn't he take Jerusalem too? That's not mentioned on the Taylor prism. But it is mentioned in the Bible. And that brings us to strategy for success number four. When in duress, seek God. So we've got do, trust, obey. We'll just call this one seek. When in duress, when things are hard, Seek God. Here's a small portion of the Bible's account of what went down. After Hezekiah got that letter, King Hezekiah tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and he went into the temple of the Lord. He sent the palace administrator, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not fear. Listen, I'm going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country. 
and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, that's the way he's going home. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, his god Nisroch, his sons cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Wow. Sometimes it looks like there is no way out. And so we fail to trust the Lord. You don't have to see a way out. You just need to trust the Lord. When he's got a way, it might even be as amazing as this. But as I tried to tell you earlier, even men of God can fear for their lives. Times can be hard, even if you're walking with God. The question is, faith comes in with, how do you deal with the fear? So you can have faith and then deal with the fear in faith by not giving up hope, not freaking out, but seeking God. God's blessings don't come without adversity. Faith comes with how we handle the adversity. Strategy for success, number one, do. Get involved in ministry. Support it with your time, your talents, and your treasure. Strategy for success, success number two, obey. Strategy for success, number three, trust. Strategy for success, number four, seek. Can I get the ushers? I need four ushers. I need four ushers to help me move these scrolls. I would like you guys, we'll get two over here and one over there to help you in the middle. Sorry for not talking to you earlier about this. Thanks for being flexible. Let's get two in the middle and then one on each end. So, Jose, if you'll just go up the aisle there and pass it down, and if you guys will go up the aisle there and you down the aisle there. What I want to do this morning is help you be a success. I'm going to help you practically with number one, do. We've got scrolls. Remember, Hezekiah sent out his men with scrolls, urging the people to trust the Lord and come to the sanctuary. In this scroll are the very words Hezekiah used. I would challenge you with one of our business cards to hand this to somebody this week. And if you're a coward like me, slip it into somebody's car or leave it on somebody's desk. Mail it to a loved one who doesn't know the Lord. Or just say, you know what? We had this interesting lesson on Sunday and my pastor challenged me to give this to somebody. Would you be that person so I don't have to go back next week and tell him I didn't do it? You don't even have to read it, tell them. Because you know as soon as you say that, they can't wait to read it. So you're not pushy, you've done your job, and they're definitely going to read it. Because it's the sin egg. 
Go ahead and open up your scroll. One of the things I like about Hezekiah is he just said it. No fluff, he just said it. Now these guys needed to hear it because they were Jews who knew better. You're going to meet with people who don't know better necessarily, so we can be a bit softer in our approach. But these are Hezekiah's words in part. Return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that He may return to you. Do not be like your fathers and brothers who are unfaithful to the Lord. Do not be stiff-necked. Submit to the Lord. Come to the sanctuary. Serve the Lord your God. The Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. This will not be hard to give somebody if you prefaced it with what I told you. If you don't, it might be a little hard. But I'd encourage you, I'd challenge you. And if you like, say, Steve, you know what I want to do, but man, that's too in your face. Fine, go to Gospel Supplies, get a tract. Do it however you want to do it. I know it's been a longer than usual service, and I don't apologize for that, but I thank you for your patience. Just by way of reminder, the prayer room will be open. There are people who will be there to pray for you. Whatever your needs or concerns are, they're happy to do so. Um, the self-defense class is going to be postponed until after lunch so we can participate with the outreach group. Uh, if you're not going with them, pray for them as they go. Uh, may the Lord bless you hard, and I look forward to seeing you Wednesday night for our small group study. God bless, and you're dismissed.